It's Wednesday in first century Jerusalem. On Sunday, Jesus was paraded into town on the back of a donkey and hailed as the Messiah. On Monday, he cleansed the temple. And on Tuesday, he had endless debates with the Jewish authorities that resulted in his pronouncing judgment on the city of Jerusalem yet again for their unbelief. Compared to the previous three days, Wednesday seems remarkably calm. In fact, the Gospel of Luke tells us, and every day he was teaching in the temple, but at night he went out and lodged on the mount called Olivet, and early in the morning all the people came to him and the temple to hear him. So it seems that both his ministry in Galilee, his miracles, his teaching, and the events of the last couple of days of Holy Week have led to Jesus gaining the attention of many of the people in Jerusalem. This also suggests that the council of chief priests and elders and Pharisees and Sadducees are deciding to take a maybe a different approach than the three previous days. On Palm Sunday, they tell him to silence his disciples. On Monday, they're seeking to destroy him. And on Tuesday, they attempt to lay traps for him. But Wednesday, they remain relatively silent. In fact, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell us. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. So it raises the question, why did they want to embarrass him anyway? He's healing the sick, the blind, the lame. And in the case of Lazarus, he's raising the dead. Shouldn't that excite them? To answer that question, we need to understand the relationship between the Jewish system of government and Rome. The Jewish council, called the Sanhedrin, was a 71-member body consisting of chief priests that were mostly Sadducees from the extended family of the high priest, scribes, which were mostly Pharisees, and elders, which was a mix of aristocracy in Jerusalem. The 71st member was the high priest. The Sanhedrin was allowed by Rome to control all Jewish internal affairs as a legislative, judicial, and executive body. Now, while it's not total control over the land that they really wanted, it's better than Rome dictating everything about their society. So why do they want to destroy the credibility of Jesus or, or even kill him? Well, John gives us insight into the internal conversations of the Sanhedrin. What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. The Sanhedrin couldn't risk an insurrection. If the people were to recognize Jesus' authority to raise the dead and heal the blind, then there would be no need for the governance of the Sanhedrin. Rome would then take away the authority of the Sanhedrin and the Jewish nation would be merely an extension of Rome. Jesus had to be stopped. And since their attempts to destroy his credibility in front of the people had backfired on them, they were forced to come up with another plan. On the Wednesday of the Holy Week, the Sanhedrin gathered at the house of Caiaphas, the high priest, to discuss what they're going to do. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. The Sanhedrin are set on arresting and killing Jesus of Nazareth after the events of Passover so as to avoid any blowback from the people. But just as they settled on a plan, in walks Judas Iscariot. 
What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. Now, what had gotten under Judas's skin so much that it would drive him to commit such a heinous act of treason? Well, none of the biblical writers answer that question directly, but it's not as if they give us no clues to understand it. First, an episode that had taken place a few days prior appears to have been the final straw for Judas. It was Saturday evening, and the Sabbath was over. The Jews had gathered at the house of Simon the leper to throw a banquet in Jesus' honor for having raised Lazarus from the dead. Mary, the sister of Lazarus, poured a jar of perfume on Jesus' feet. Well, Judas was dumbfounded because the cost of the ointment was about a year's worth of wages. So he says, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. See, Judas was greedy and would have liked to help himself to the money that the perfume could have been sold for. However, Jesus said to him, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. To Mary, Jesus is worth more than a year's wages, and an opportunity to honor him as Lord and Master is a privilege. To Judas, Jesus is worth a mere 30 pieces of silver. It's not difficult to imagine how Jesus' response that he is worth Mary's extravagance would have incensed Judas in his greed. But why would we think that this may have been the last straw? Because although this event took place on Saturday night before Palm Sunday, both Matthew and Mark retell the story immediately in between the collusion of the Sanhedrin and Judas's agreement to betray him. It seems they're making the point that Judas's failure to properly esteem Christ as Lord led ultimately to the worst betrayal in human history. But that's not the only reason for Judas's actions. Luke gives us more spiritual insight into Judas's heart in Luke 22, verse 3. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot. So Satan, preying upon Judas's under-evaluation of Jesus and his over-evaluation of silver, devoured him. The plan was in place for Judas to lead the authorities by night to where he knew Jesus would be so they could try, convict, and arrange the death of Jesus of Nazareth. As you think about the actions of Judas today, do you properly value Christ? Many are quite willing to have Christ as Savior. Few will acknowledge him as Lord. How is your life spent in service to his kingdom? Is your life characterized by repentance of sin and obedience to his will? Where we have, like Judas, undervalued Christ and overvalued other things in his place, let's confess that sin to him. And what we find is a wonderful Savior who stands ready to forgive.